This is Brett. And this is Sean. And this is Bonus BS. Bonus BS, a supplemental show to Gaming and BS podcast where we cover interviews and other such topics not found in our weekly episodes. Enjoy. Bonus BS episode 7. Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard at Gamehole Con 2015. Are you ready? Dungeon Bastard! Wow, that was awesome. I, there's nothing I love better than, a, than an analog cover of my theme song. It's the first time I've ever done that. I'm a little too proud of myself. Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard. Hey! I would like to semi-officially, or at least personally, welcome you to Gamehole Con 2015! Number three. Is, this is just an easy one. Is everybody having a good time? Yes. Yes. I ran one game myself earlier today. It was a blast. So I'm having a great time myself. Um, we're going to do just sort of, a, this is Ask the Bastard Live. There is no question too stupid because my answer will top the stupidity of whatever question you are going to ask. Um, does everybody know who the Dungeon Bastard is? Because if you don't, it's weird that you're here. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're here. If you, it's okay to say I don't know what, who, what, what is the Dungeon Bastard. What is the Dungeon Bastard? I'm Bill Cavalier. I'm a professional adventure coach. I've been advising gamers on the proper way to game since 2013. Uh, so uh, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Uh, the right way to game, which of course is completely ridiculous. Hence the outfit. <laughs> so that's me. Uh, I have some videos on YouTube. I have a lot of tweets on the Twitter. Um, and uh, other than that, those are the main ways to find me. Sometimes I update my website. Not very often. Yeah. <laughs> Don't agree with me when I'm publicly shaming myself. Come on. So, uh, uh, the only thing that I kind of want to like kick off and pimp here um, before we dive into the questions, we'll do sort of a, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes of Dungeon Bastard stuff, and then we can kind of flip out of character and just talk uh, what's going on with Dungeon Bastard and or what is my personal life like. That will be awkward and uncomfortable for me, if not for you. So, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, I just would like to personally invite all of you to come to Cutthroat Dungeon tomorrow night uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one, it's our charity event here at GameholeCon this year, uh, and and all of our uh, proceeds will go to World Builders, which is a food charity, correct? Sustainable Farming in Africa, which translates eventually into food. And then eventually into something else. But that's not the point of the charity. Anyway, so number one, it's a charity event. Uh, it, it is the official charity of Gamehole Con. Um, I'm excited to be the event that directly supports that. And uh, the second reason you should come is because it's going to be awesome! Um, what is Cutthroat Dungeon, you might ask yourselves. Well, uh, has anyone here... Wait, well, this is a dumb question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Has anyone here seen Cutthroat Kitchen with Alton Brown on, on the Food Network? Three, four, maybe four people. Okay, I will give you a very brief rundown of how Cutthroat Kitchen works. Stay with me. 
Um, the way Cutthroat Kitchen works is uh, there are four chefs who are brought in. Uh, each uh, there are four round or three rounds of competition. Each round, Alton Brown presents them with a challenge: make the perfect burrito, make beef stroganoff, whatever. Um, they uh, before each round of cooking, there's several rounds of sabotages. So each of them is staked with twenty-five thousand dollars and then they bid on the opportunity to sabotage their other chefs. So it might be something like, uh, the, the, they're completely ridiculous sabotages. Um, hey, beef stroganoff is uh, originally from Russia. What else do we know about Russia? It's cold, therefore I'm gonna auction off the opportunity to force one of your competitors to cook with these mittens on for the entire length of the challenge. Um, I'm going to auction off the opportunity to replace all of your uh, rival, one rival chef's cooking utensils, uh, their spoons, knives, etc., with a roll of tin foil, and they have to make their own pans and ladles by themselves. Okay, so, uh, and then at the end of the uh, cooking challenge, after all this crazy stuff has happened, a celebrity judge comes out, uh, tastes all of the dishes, rates all of the dishes, and whoever did the worst is eliminated. That's, I thought to myself, that's what I want to do with Dungeons and Dragons. So each round, uh, we're going to have a team of six players. Uh, each round, they're going to be uh, dungeoneering through a role-playing scenario. Uh, and at the end of each round, one person is going to be eliminated until there is only a victor left. Uh, it is just as bizarre and enchanting as it sounds. I think it's enchanting. You tell me. <laughs> My advice is come and find out. I'm really excited. Uh, we have, uh, uh, it's, it's just, it's going to be over the top outrageous. It's one of the best uh, things that I've put together for the con this year. And I'm really proud of the concept. And I think it's going to be a blast. And it will only be more fun if you guys join me. So uh, also, uh, as part of the charity event, we have deliberately set aside two seats uh, at the table in Cutthroat Dungeon. So if you come and contribute, you will roll the magical green d20 of doom, and uh, if you beat everyone else, you will get a seat at the table. So we have two seats to essentially sort of raffle off and play, because we didn't want to like lock anyone who wasn't a VIG out of playing this event. And it's also another way for us to support the charity beyond the four, five, six people who are gonna play. So uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's the quick rundown on Cutthroat Dungeon. I really, really recommend that if you have any opportunity to come tomorrow night, eight o'clock, uh, it'll be about two and a half hours. Uh, it should be a blast. So there we go. Uh, at this point, I am done talking at you, and I would like to answer at you. So if you have a question for the Dungeon Bastard, first of all, I am giving away some delightful swag that uh, Evil Hat was uh, nice enough to donate here for uh, Gamehole Con. I've got a copy of the brand new uh, Pharaoh of Hong Kong, which is a brand new uh, Spirit of the Century book, which is their uh, pulp adventure line, if you've ever played Spirit of the Century. Um, this is the new novel by Matt Cody and Brian Clevenger. I, I will be giving that away, as well as I have some Fate Worlds of Adventure and Fate Accelerated. I'm not giving away my GM's prize of the basic rules of the Red Book. That I'm keeping. Sorry, I kept this on the table. This stuff is mine. <laughs> so don't get handsy. All right. Um, so with that in mind, who has a question for the Dungeon Bastard? Yes, you raised your hand first, sir. Okay. Okay. 
Yes, yes. And I should point out to everyone that I will answer questions as seriously or ridiculously as you choose. <laughs> Well, first of all, I've never really worried about seeming like a complete dick, <laughs> okay? So that kind of negates the premise of your question right there. Um, so help me understand the background here. You're at, like, you're at a convention, you're playing at a table, somebody else at the table has a magic item. Uh, he basically figured out the NPC. Oh, some NPC has a magic item. He basically just wants to kill the NPC and take the magic item. And the presumption is we're eventually going to get to do that at some point. But the thing is, is that now that he said he wants it, the only thing that you want is not to let him Not to let him have it. Hmm, so, I mean, like, I can think of a couple of things. Number one, spill water on that person. I mean, that's, like, they're going to have to get up. It's, it's going to get cold, clammy, uncomfortable. That's a good delaying tactic. As long as they're not wearing their electronics in their pocket, highly recommend. Just, oops, my water bottle went over. Oh, oh, well, that's cold. Isn't it clammy? Kind of makes you think about having to dry off and or go to the restroom. Um, so that's basic, you know, that's sort of like not so subtle sabotage. Um, I, I think a lot of, is this organized play or is this a free for all? Yeah, organized, I've got your number, yeah. Like, okay, so uh, also typically organized play just has rules baked in where regardless of what magic items are on the table, there's a hierarchy for who gets those things. So, uh, I hate to go all rules lawyer on you, but hello, I don't know if you've looked at the D&D Adventures League website lately, but it clearly says in this PDF uh, that we're gonna roll off for that. And first we're gonna assign it to whoever has the least number of magic items. And furthermore, in clause six, section C, I get to pluck a nose hair. So, um, so that's, uh, that's, that's, here's the thing. You're always going to run into somebody who's greedy. Do you need to outgreed them or can you just outmaneuver them with a cleverly placed trade? Also something to think about. I've got this headband of intellect that I don't really need. Maybe that plus one rapier is not as cool as you think. So, I... Is that satisfactory? Does that seem mean enough? I mean, spilling water on them is pretty mean, right? Yeah. Things I do not recommend, uh, fake bomb threat, um, setting anything on fire, um, tying shoelaces together can get you in trouble too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes killing them with kindness can also, just try and push that guy to the front. Let him take a few hits. Let him, let him get in need of healing. Here's, here's my number one advice in this particular scenario, is just outgame those people. I, when I'm sitting down at an organized play table, my goal is to have the best role-playing experience possible, whether that's like helping to lead the party into the plot and or out of the horrible dead-end cul-de-sac that we have found ourselves in, or just trying to use the best tactics that I can at the table. Uh, uh, I've found that when you outgame the rest of the table, the rest of the table tends to look at you like, well, okay, I can't argue with that guy because he did a really good job this session. So, 
Wow, that's that's almost a devastatingly sincere answer. Be a good gamer. Ouch. Next question. Yes. Wait, I'm sorry. Roll the d20 of of doom. If you get a 15 or higher, you get to pick from the prize from the prize pool. It's going to roll off the table. You're just going to have to trust me. 12. I have a higher armor class than that. Come on, you guys. Yes, next question. So in Star Frontiers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. Hang on. No, no. No, I'm a Vrusk. Look out for me. I've got eight legs. I'm a giant cockroach with a weird face. Ooh. Um, I have a, there's a complete Dralocyte hiding behind this lectern right here. What? Ugh, I just named two that I hate. Uh, what am I supposed to go with? The flying... Nah, I'm not going to go with the flying monkey people. No, come on. That's, that's cheese-tastic. Cheese-tastic. It is cheese-tastic. Uh, I, I can't go with Sathar because technically they're not uh, uh, a playable race. Didn't, wasn't there a supplement where they were like, there, there's rogue Sathar agents. No, there's not. They're all evil worms. That's a joke for six people in the room. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, what are we left? We got so Dralocyte, Yazirian, uh, Rusk. There's one more goof race besides human, isn't there? Oh, no, there's the kangaroo race, the Hummer. Uh, don't. All right, you're just embarrassing both of us. That's the whole point of this question. Isn't there? Uh, here's a quick fun fact for those of you who are completely alienated by what's happening right now. Uh, Star Frontiers was a game released by TSR back in the ancient whatevers, uh, and it was also the first role-playing game I ever bought. So, um, uh, Also, I would like to share with you my favorite plot of Star Frontiers, which, according to my friends, is also the only plot of Star Frontiers, which is you wake up in the hospital, there's a cortex bomb so sewed into your, into your skull, and the sheriff wants you to do some horrible, horrible things. <laughs> what choice do you have? There's a cortex bomb sewn into the base of your skull. Um, I thought it was a good way to motivate the party. So, so my favorite race? See, if I say human, that's boring. I like the Vrusk, but the Vrusk are so huge, I had never found like they, that they were practical. How do you make a spacesuit for a giant bug? You shouldn't have to. We all saw Starship Troopers. Those guys are just impervious to atmosphere. What's your favorite race? Yazarian. Yazarian. Yeah, all right. Flying monkeys. <laughs> I, monkeys with, with squirrel glider wings are not, that's not a noble character to build around. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. So, so, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think, I feel like I've done a pretty good rundown of how horrible the Star Frontiers races are. Uh, <clears throat> my favorite race to play would have to be human because it's not embarrassing to draw a character portrait of a human. Everything else, you, <laughs> I made a cricket. Okay, that's me. Congratulations. Hmm, yeah, all right, all right. Not that Star Frontiers is a bad game, mind you. But the races are terrible. <laughs> the races are terrible. Roll the d20 of doom. You hit me in the foot, that's a minus five. You got a 15, you get to pick something off the table. Hmm? Fate, uh, fate accelerated, very good. Enjoy, it's fun. Who's up next? Yet Zan. Hang on. <laughs> Number one, how old are you? 
Is it 10 or 11? <laughs> 11. Did you just have a birthday? Why are you so confused? What, like last week or? When, when was my birthday? That's two weeks ago. All right. And now you're 11. It's all new. I'm still writing 11 on my checks too. I get it. Okay. Uh, number two, what do you mean honest opinion? There's sort of the implication there that I don't give you my honest opinion entirely. All right. What is my honest opinion about horses? Uh, here's my honest opinion about horses. Uh, and I'm going to, and I assume this is in terms of in a role playing game, right? Or do you just mean in general? Do you like horses? Either way is fine. <laughs> All right, Zan, I'm sorry. I don't mean to dogpile on you. Um, in real life, I think horses are interesting. Um, uh, uh, and they look like noble creatures, but also it seems like a lot of work to take care of a horse. So if you're thinking about using this as an opportunity to con your mom and dad into getting you a horse, I'm not endorsing that. This was a bad play. I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, if you want to get a greyhound dog, I absolutely endorse that opinion, and I encourage you to work on your mom and dad as much as possible. If you need photographic evidence or personal testimonials, I will supply them to you. Um, in terms of role-playing games, the way I feel about a horse is, so I'm very much divided about horses. Um, I think they are such a staple of the fantasy genre. I think they bring so much uh, flavor and uh, there's so many possibilities. And they seem like they should be an essential part of any adventurer's gear, right? I mean, the dungeon is not just seven, three miles away or whatever. It's not right on your, it's not across the street most of the time, unless you're playing in Waterdeep, we all know who I'm talking about. Okay, um, so the point being, every good adventurer should actually have a horse to travel all those uh, long distances. This actually came up recently in an Adventurer's League game that I was playing, where it's like, you have to go into this forest. How far is it? About 250 miles. Okay, we're gonna get a horse for that. Does that sound like a good idea? And the DM was like, I don't know if you need a, yes, we need a horse. And then we had to go through the whole thing of like, do we buy one? Do we rent a horse? What kind of horse do we get? There's, there's, there's a draft horse and a war horse and then a riding horse, which I think you can do that with all of the horses. So I'm not sure why they make a distinction there. Um, and that brings me to my number two problem with horses, or actually my number one problem with horses is you can't take them into the dungeon. Right? So the only horse that I truly approve of is a stone horse, the one that turns into, uh, you, can, you can either get a figurine of wondrous power where it just pops back and forth, horse statuette type of thing, or, ooh, I'm trying to remember what supplement it was, somebody help me out here, there was like a stone horse that was like made by dwarves and animated, and you, that's a horse I would take into the dungeon, it's this big, it weighs about 700 pounds, and clomp, 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 yeah, I'll take it down, that's, it can climb a ladder, I'll make it happen, yeah. <laughs> So that's my, that's my huge issue with horses. They're just impractical for the dungeon master or for the dungeoneering lifestyle. And then number two, even if you leave them outside the dungeon, that's pathetic. That horse is going to get eaten. It's a world of adventure out there. Everything is a nightmare, atrocity, just waiting to pounce on you. We live in a world of danger. I left my horse out front. It's going to be fine. We tied it to a, to a stick or something. 
we just told it to stay there until we came back. Oh, we did go through a dimensional portal at some point and found ourselves in Elysium, but they've got horses in Elysium, and I'm sure he'll find his way here too. So, uh, yes, uh, in principle, I feel like it's an essential piece of adventuring gear. Uh, in practicality, I feel like it stretches uh, suspension of disbelief, and, uh, and therefore, we should all just have spirit horses that we ride around. Does that answer your question, Zan? How many times did I use some words that were a little outside the ballpark? Was it not, not too bad? Suspension of disbelief, are you down with that? Do you know what that concept is? Good, awesome. Hey, let's roll the D20 Doom, let's see if we can win something. Bum, bum, bum. Five. That just means you have to think of another question. Who else is up? In the back, yes, sir. What is your honest opinion? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the DM nerfing a super magic item. The DM nerfing, just, just nerfing magic items in general. Like, one person. <clears throat> Do you have a more concrete example in mind? I feel like this may have come up in your own personal life somehow. Am I wrong? That's what I wanted to hear. That's all I wanted to hear. You are not wrong. Congratulations. What would you like from the pile? Do you want a save game? Ether Here, how about Ethersea? It is a game of uh, cyber piracy, uh, more or less. Uh, magic uh, through the ether. You can still continue your question, don't worry. I'm not cutting it. I'm just rewarding you for doing the right thing. All right, very good. Uh, wow. Hey, whose session is this? Is it yours? No. No. It might not be there when you're done with your question, kid. <laughs> Sorry. Your specific example. Go ahead. Rapier of shock plus two. All right, you're you're informing my uh, my thought process here. What do you mean there's not a rapier of shock plus two? Of course there is. It counts as a plus three weapon. As it does a d8, extra one d8. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, Mister. Apparently, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. <laughs> Say you have a rapier of shock plus two. With your rapier of shock, you single-handedly wiped out an entire army of his? Oh, you got it on that adventure. Okay. If you wipe out an entire army, I think you should get the equivalent of a plus three weapon. Am I wrong? No. All right. Okay. I'm going to just keep interrupting you. Don't worry about it. It's fine. That's what I do. <clears throat> Oh, okay, so he like just, he, no like he, j he just doesn't, and he's like, oh, guess what? Some of it wore off. Yeah, um, here's the thing. I am an advocate for the players, right? That is my job. I'm an adventure coach. 
Um, I will tell people how to DM better, but uh, mostly I tell people how to play better because I care about how they play. Um, I feel like this is sort of a garbage move, right? Like that reeks of personal politics entering into, see he's got to run up here and snake. <laughs> got to get that rule book before I get done answering your question. Well played, well played. <clears throat> um, so yeah, that reeks of personal politics to me, and, and in my book, you let the dice decide what happens. There is not any thought process going on in the hinterbrain or the hippocampus or whatever particular parts you have in your head. Um, it, it's strictly by the book, by the rules, let the dice fall where they may. So unless there's some sort of awesome story justification for it, unless it, here's the thing, here's my problem with nerfing that magic item, right? You having an extra plus one doesn't make a whit of difference to how everyone else at the table gets to be awesome in their part of the story. Plus one does not make that big of a difference. Now if it was something like, uh, I have a rapier that uh, every time I invoke the true name of the rapier, I slay all creatures within 30 feet, Okay, that magic item might need to be nerfed. Why? Not because it's too powerful, but it's too powerful in comparison to the rest of the players. So if you play a grim and gritty game where everybody just has sharpened sticks, that's cool because everybody has an equal chance to sharpen a stick and stab somebody with it. If you play a, a high power fantasy game where everybody's walking around with the Sword of Costs and some guy has the Eye of Vecna, that's cool because you have the Sword of Costs and he has the Eye of Vecna. Awesome! Let's go kick some butt! But if you have the Eye of Vecna and you have a sharpened stick, the DM is playing dirty pool. Unless, and there's always an unless, the DM really heavily enforces all the bad stuff that happens with the Eye of Vecna. Now, I will say there's a danger in that, in that you're, you're running the temptation of making one character uh, and one player more important than everybody else at the table, and I don't really believe that. My philosophy of role-playing is everybody at the table contributes at the level that they want to contribute, and we all make the fun together. Thumbs up. <laughs> All right. 12-year-old <laughs> approved. That philosophy rings so true on a fundamental level. Uh, I can't have you roll again because that's unfair to everybody else's fun, as I just demonstrated. <clears throat> All right, next question. I am ready. Yes. How did you come to be known? How did I come? Have you heard me talk? <clears throat> I, I, uh, just now you heard me talk. Yes. Um... Uh, so if you want the true credit for that, uh, the true credit for the Dungeon Bastard, the concept, not necessarily concept so much as the name, is uh, back in high school, I gamed with, with uh, my, my group of friends uh, like every Saturday in the summer, every weekend during the school year that we could convince our parents to let us uh, sleep over at somebody's house and play D&D and whatnot. And... Uh, one of uh, the game masters, one of the guys who ran the game for us, um, was a jerk. And, and he said, I'm not the dungeon master, I'm the dungeon bastard. Uh, this is the kind of guy who you would go into a warren of kobolds and the tunnels were so tiny and small that you had to kind of like creep your way through, but they all had secret panels and uh, traps and stuff like that that would just like, they'd stab you, but they'd stab you through the wall with a spear and you couldn't attack back. 
So you're really just running a gauntlet of pain until you couldn't take it anymore. And then it's like, are we halfway in? Because if we're more than halfway in, we better keep going. But if we're less than halfway in, then we should turn around and go back. Because I only have seven hit points left. Um, this is the guy who would, would drop a uh, uncon you know, would, would drop a character to zero, and then instead of killing them, he would just cut off various limbs, and you would wake up. You'd wake up when your character would not have a leg below the knee. Now this was D and D, A D and D back in the day. This uh, there were no rules for cutting off someone's leg. That was not included in our world of fantasy adventure. It was just something mean that he decided to do. Now, admittedly. This all made us better players in one way or another uh, because, for instance, that character now had a peg leg for the rest of the adventure. And, you know, being a, being a half-orc thief is cool. Do you know what's cooler? Being a half-orc thief with a peg leg. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, he rather, uh, rather proudly proclaimed himself Dungeon Bastard. That man is named Robin Leaf. He's sitting right here! <laughs> So that's how I became known as the Dungeon Bastard, is I, I, I pilfered his name like anyone looting a treasure chest would, and I've now taken it for my own, and I brandish it with authority. Uh, that's the story of the Dungeon Bastard. I registered the domain a million and a half years ago, and then I sat on it until, you'll take it? You'll take the roll? 13. I'm going to have to lower my armor class here, folks. I have too much stuff to give away. Who else has a question. Yes. Oh, we're back. Do you want my honest opinion? <laughs> well, that's dirty to begin with. Don't even say that kind of stuff. What sort of sick individual do you have to be to become a dungeon master? Come on, Zan. Well, you're supposed to sit down and look at your life because fundamentally you're failing as a DM, as number one. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, so do you have a specific situation where this has happened to you that you want me to address? No, it's just that, what if you're an awful DM? Is your, that's, that's your question. Uh, all right, so what if the adventure does go off the rails and it has happened to all of us and uh, we don't necessarily know what to do about it, and so here is my advice for when a session really takes a left-hand turn hard. Um, you, have, you have a couple things that you need to take care of, and some of it is just like basic housekeeping. Why are the characters going off in this different direction? That's the number one question you have to ask yourself, is what, what needs of the party are not being met that, that led them to go off in this weird direction that you had not planned for, even though you gave them a million hints that you actually have to go see the cleric at the Temple of Saloon because she is your clue bat and she has all of the information that you're going to use to transfer the, the plot and get things going. Um, so you have to ask yourself, are they, are they, number one is probably the most obvious thing, are they bored? Like that's, in my experience, that's why parties kind of go off on their own is like they're, Look, look, let's, guys, let's just fight something. I don't want to go talk to some... What's that cleric going to tell us? We, that cleric is not worth XP, you guys. Um, 
So, so that's something to address is what, what is each, each of your pillars looking for from that particular session? Some people want to be the, the high role-playing person who commandeers the situation and, uh, and, and has this wonderful charismatic interaction with the NPCs and kind of entertains the entire table or thinks they entertain the entire table. Some people just want to hack and slash. Some people are just tired after work, just want to sit at the table, kind of hang out with their friends and ride along. They don't actually want to contribute to the game. And that's okay. <laughs> like, it's just a game, you guys. Like, not everybody has to uh, give it 200% of their energy. If they're there for 40% of their energy to see what happens, that's fine, too. Um, so number one is, like, what, what's happening in the game? What's happening around your table? Look at your players and try and diagnose, like, this... This guy's checked out. Why is he checked out? Is it, is it because this aspect of the story doesn't interest him or it's not tied to his character? Or is he checked out because uh, he's been working 60 hours a week and he's still thinking about the stuff that he's got to do tomorrow when he goes into work on Saturday? Um, is, is that going on? Um, and then secondly, I would say, uh, the important thing is to address, are you playing the type of game that's making everybody interested and engaged and happy. Because the, the, every, every, diff, every player has a different type of style that they enjoy, kind of like, like you just talked about. They're there for a different reason, right? And I think it's easy for us as game masters to come up with this high-minded idea of what the story is going to be. And I will tell you that is a fundamentally flawed concept. Um, it's reinforced, unfortunately, by the fact that you buy prepackaged adventures that teach you how to design an adventure, and they, because by necessity of page count, they can only teach, you know, show you a few different ways that the plot can go. There's like a one true path through the plot. I will tell you, the only one true path through the plot is the one that you follow with your players. <clears throat> um, so, so me personally, when I'm designing these things, uh, uh, an adventure or a campaign arc or whatever, I don't really design a huge campaign arc. I will design campaign themes, but I will not necessarily know what the final end result is going to be. Because while I'm feeding out clues to everybody in the party, everybody in the party is feeding me clues on what they think is actually going to happen. And you've got six brains sitting there working on this plot versus your one. So a fundamental mistake that a lot of DMs make is that, well, this is my story. Okay, un unless you're George R. R. Martin or some sort of genius. And, and there are GMs who can pull those strings and make it all happen and come together. I absolutely applaud them. But I think for 90% of us out there who are running games, our players are just as smart as we are, and sometimes smarter. I will tell you one thing, there is nothing scarier for a GM than to sit down across from somebody who's smarter than they are. It's a tough thing to admit. So, so my advice is, is to throw plot elements out there and, and, and work, not directly, but listen to the players and tie those things together and kind of sew them into a story together. And that way, when there's two things. Number one, there's always two things. Have you guys noticed this? There's always two things. That's because my attention span is just short enough that I can't say there's five things because by the time I get to number three, I'll be off on another tangent. Those last two will be gone. There's two things. Um, 
<laughs> I don't remember what they are. <laughs> um, in terms of throwing your, your, your plot out there and weaving those elements together, um, there's two things. Number one, if you're, if you're sewing the story together, you are, um, you are speaking to each of the individual strengths that those players bring to the table, right? So if somebody's a role-playing guy and he's like, well, we should, maybe we should go talk to this person. Great, mark that down. Interesting, that guy, he wants to go talk to him. Or if somebody's a, a war gamer and they're just like, we need to take direct action. Don't, your immediate, your immediate like, impulse can be, oh, they shouldn't go into that dungeon. It's far too dangerous for them. Let them do it. Let them learn, and, and maybe you'll learn something. Um, so, so if you're working with the players kind of behind the screen to pull their game together, then, uh, then they get the each, each of their needs as a player gets addressed, right? The second thing, you thought I was going to forget, I remember. Here's the thing. Uh, the second thing is that players love to be right. Okay, you work on this mystery of a story, you try and unravel this plot or what it is. Players, players love to be right, but more importantly, players love to earn a victory. That's the whole basis of role-playing games is I, I apply myself, I swing my sword, I do damage, I kill the monster, I get some treasure. It's classic carrot and the stick type of stuff, right? But players love to earn a victory. So when you're unspooling this mystery, if they're like tugging at the ideas and trying to figure out the plot and where to go and what happens next and who's behind whatever, and then it turns out they were wrong, they worked, all, they worked and worked and worked and then they didn't get anything. It's like fighting a giant boss monster. There's, no, there's two gold pieces. That's not rewarding. That's not fulfilling. Even though that's the way I DM'd for most of my career. <clears throat> Notoriously stingy. Um... <clears throat> So, but, but if they work at it and they're wrong once, but they try something else and they're wrong again and then they try something else and it turns out that they were right, oh, it was the two-timing cleric of Saloon the whole time. Even if that's not what you planned, that the cleric of Saloon was a traitor, if you reward them with, yes, that's absolutely, that works. That work, I haven't planned out my story arc for 17 weeks so that I can fit that into my game. And guess what? While you guys are all off working and having fun and whatever you do during the week, I'm going to figure out a way to turn that around so that that trader concept works. Well, suddenly the players are engaged in what you've got going on in your game because you have doled out the carrot of you have the correct knowledge. So... <sighs> It's a lot of concepts I just kind of threw out there. Does that answer your question? Work with your players, find out what they enjoy, and then make them work hard enough that they feel like they earned whatever the victory is for, for their particular characters. Some people just want magic items. Some people want the thrill of being recognized with a noble title from the king, uh, reputation, influence, all of that's gold pieces, more power, whatever it is. You have so much power as a GM to challenge them that giving the players a steady little supply of, of victories it should be a common weapon in your tool belt. Yes, Zan says, I agree. <laughs> that was deep. We went on a deep one there, everybody. All right, you get to roll again because you asked another question. <clears throat> Oh, 
it was on 16. Now it's a six. You ask two questions, you get something anyhow. What do you want? Fade accelerated? You want uh, the secrets of cats? Save game? Do you want to read the Pharaoh of Hong Kong? It's a novel. A Pharaoh of Hong Kong. All right, very good. You have to share it with your family, and make them read it too. And then I want a book report on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> no, hang on. Let me back up. You're not allowed to sign up for a Twitter account until you're, I don't know, 25. <clears throat> Uh, who else has, does anyone else have a question? Uh, yes, okay, yes, yes, I saw you first. Okay. Elves. Elves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Elven, barbarian, cleric. Weapons specialized in battle axe. Whoa, 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 back up. Which version of our favorite role-playing systems are you playing here? I'll pick one at this point, probably. Well, you said elven, barbarian, cleric. Yeah. Okay. All right, we'll go three five. With a few classic elements. Uh huh. Gauntlets of overpower. Yes. Uh, battle axe of sharpness. Okay. And severely high bonuses to ranged attacks. And wow. feats. Okay. That will allow him to move, cut down his enemies, and then throw potions as like a baseball onto his fellow party members to keep them alive. Okay. Abomination, or maybe the only worthy way of actually playing an elf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the answer is easy on that one. That sounds completely badass to me. Am I wrong? No. No. <laughs> I like saying I'm not, I'm like hearing that I'm not wrong. Uh, so I approve of this particular build. Um, in 3.5, you can pull it off. That works out. In 5e, that does not work out particularly well uh, because they changed some of the ways, particularly that barbarians get bonuses. Um, but anytime you have a barbarian with an axe of sharpness, it's hard for me to go, that's a bad character. <laughs> so even if they're in... Well, you know, okay, hang on. Here's the deciding factor. What is this character's name? Not Figlin Flower. Fairly. What? Fairly close? No, you take that character and you name him something like Grunt Fart. <laughs> if it was a little bit more, yeah, all right, okay. Legolas Spoonflower or something like that? Great. Terrific. I, no, all right, so that, I'm sorry, that is the deciding factor for me, is that you can't have, like, Legolas Spoonflower, like, just sort of dancing through the combat, and then absolutely slaughtering everything. There's too much, like, cognitive dissidence for the Dungeon Bastard. You're allowed to do whatever you want in your home game, but, I, you know, I will call this person out, and I will send them a photo that just basically is me, like, angry. So... Boy, I mean, I love the concept, and I love the way everything has come together, and I love everything that this character does, but, uh, you know, you can't name a pickup truck, uh, you know, the, the Chevy Marigold. It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> All right. Periwinkle Golden Gun? I don't know that that's any better, Golden Dawn. Periwinkle Golden Dawn. It is classic elf. I'm really of two minds about this whole thing, and one mind hates the other mind, and I don't know who's going to win. Yeah, I, I compared it to Halloween 
All right. I'm not a diehard Conan fan, which is good for your friend because I would probably swallow this microphone in rage <laughs> if I was. <clears throat> but that's fine. I w you know what? That, that does bring me to a point which is somewhat related, which I would like to rant on, which is Conan has had his time. Okay, I'm not saying we have to retire him, but we do not have to hold him up on the golden altar of all that is awesome and, and perfect in fantasy literature. Um, my namesake, Bill Cavalier, would be mortified to hear this, so I, uh, I have to be careful with my opinions. But I'm just saying, we had, we've had 50-some years of Conan the Barbarian. We're allowed to have... Periwinkle Golden Gun, if that's what we're going to come around to. So, yes. Uh, I, I, here's the thing. I recently watched Conan the Barbarian, the movie, and uh, it had been a while since I had seen it, and I was sort of mortified at kind of what a disjointed mess that actually is. Um, maybe it doesn't follow the current modern, like, A to B to C type of structure, but I was also like... There's three cool moments in this movie that everybody quotes, but everything else is kind of a mess. So, uh, thank you, Conan, for your service. Maybe we can turn the sword over to some other fantasy hero archetype. <sighs> that was nearly political. Hey, where did my die go? <clears throat> we have two more questions, and then I think we'll turn it over to my nerdy alter ego, who almost spilled the water. Eight. I got too much stuff to just, we're not rolling dice anymore. Uh, we have save game, Secrets of Cats. Secrets of Cats. Very good. Very good. You've already asked one. I'm going over, you had a question, yes? And there was one over here somewhere too or not? You had a question. So second, third, fourth. We'll start with number two. Somebody, well, you can't point at each other. Oh, he was trying to set you up? I'm already taken, I'm sorry. I don't know if you've noticed. If you did not mean it that way, I apologize because it's, this is not necessarily a trophy you want. You do not have a question? No. I have to check that like everything's buttoned up properly. I don't know if I gave away some secret that we didn't want to know. Okay, you do not have a question. You're jumping line. We have three, four. You can go back around to five. Oh, okay. All right. We're going to sub, sub you in for somebody else's question. Yes, sir. Nicholas. A non-true neutral druid. Well, like, all right. So this kind of goes back to game system, right? Like, like do you mean an occurrence? You know, 5e or 3-5 or Pathfinder or whatever? 5e because I believe you're allowed as a druid like here's the thing in fifth edition it's like oh yeah I don't here's all this classic old school stuff that we've kind of done a new spin off of and and a reboot and try this out we put some new design flourishes on it oh and by the way once upon a time there was this thing called alignment like it is sort of non-existent in in the current or at least not as influential in the current 5e rule set as it was in previous editions where like what alignment you were actually mattered whether that you know that magical sword did extra damage to you or not um so 
Here's the thing. Traditionally, having a druid in your party as someone who is true neutral was always sort of a lingering liability because there was always that thing of, well, we're heroes and we're doing good stuff and we're killing evil dragons and we're slaying liches and we're banishing whites and uh, we're, we're, we're decapitating demons. And you knew that, that as that meter went over to good, at some point the druid is going to be like, now it's time for balance. <laughs> You know, and then flame strike. It's just all over. You know, the whole party is, you know, we've become too much of a force for good. Therefore, it's time to eliminate some of the branches off the happy tree. So I, I, uh, I think, you know, traditionally that was an interesting point of character creation. But I also felt like it was another one of those things that's, that pushed the boundaries of disbelief. Because either you just were sort of like, Nah, true neutral is kind of whatever you think it is, which is a garbage position to take on something as important as alignment in that game. Um, or it was just, um, it was, it, it created just that shadow in the mind of every other player of like, when is he going to turn? When's the point at which he's going to get word from on high that they've, they've become too much? We need to rebalance the scales. Now, I will say that... Uh, in more modern kind of RPGs, I actually welcome people to play druids across the law end of the sphere, okay? So you have lawful neutral, you have lawful good, you have lawful evil druids, and to me, those are distinct subsects of druidicism overall, and now all of a sudden you got this fantastic dynamic tension between the good druids who are trying to promote peace and law and order and harmony, and the lawful evil druids who are like, we will bind the fairies to our will. So uh, uh, that, that makes druids suddenly the antagonists that we, we rarely get to see them as. Um, so I would not personally force a druid to stay true neutral. I feel like it's not an alignment that most people can play. Resounding thud. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> All right, would you like to? No, we're just giving stuff away at this point. Uh, Nicholas, would you like Fate Accelerated, Romance in the Air, which I am told is the uh, back cover copy of this book, or this is the title, and then on the back there's a lot of words written that I'm not going to read out loud right now. Uh, Romance in the Air, which is a system of travel, uh, gambling, airships, etc. And a save game, which is sort of like a, uh, uh, a Matrix cyberpunk sort of world. Or, or just Fate Accelerated, where you can play whatever game. You, you can make your own Romance in the Save game game, and if you do that, I want you to send me a link to it. No, you're not allowed to get a Twitter account either. Okay. Have your dad email me. He knows how to do it. <clears throat> Three, four, five, two left. Unless somebody else has one, I'm not going to stop just because it's five o'clock. Screw you guys. I don't have to be anywhere. Neither do you. Sir. Uh, I have what is happening? I'm not giving you three of these books. <laughs> is, that, is that the real motivation, or you have three questions? Okay, let's hear it. <clears throat> Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard. Probably to humiliate you on the next question. Uh, 
off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Let's roll for it. <laughs> 16. The airspeed is 16. That's actually pretty good. Um, yes. <laughs> I've always been a little bastard. <clears throat> Early, full on geek. <laughs> How did I go from little bastard to big bastard? <clears throat> um, well, so I mentioned that, uh, that the first role playing game that I bought was Star Frontiers, right? So uh, here's the thing uh, my parents had some friends with kids that were a little bit older than me. And uh, we would go over to their house and have dinner, and um, my dad and this guy would play music and, and uh, socialize and, and, and have a good time. And then, of course, we were relegated to whatever other parts of the house the adults were not involved with. Go in the living room, go in the basement, whatever it was. Um, and so I was over there, and, uh, and this kid, Matt, had... I don't, I don't remember if it was the red book or the blue book or which, which set of basic Dungeons and Dragons rules it was, but he had this. And I remember him opening it up and inside there was the, that illustration of the dragon and his breath weapon with all the hexes around like what hexes were affected by his breath weapon. And I looked at this and I'd never seen hexes before and I was like, what sort of magical sorcery is this? <clears throat> and he's like, oh yeah, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I play it with my buddies. So what are, yeah, okay. There was no like, hey, I want to show you how this works. It was like, don't bother. I'm, I'm reading my Dungeons and Dragons book. What's about, well, it's, you know, like, like you fight and stuff. It's cool. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks for the intro. <clears throat> so I, I saw this and I, and I said to my parents like, hey, they've got this down. I, I can buy this as well. They got this down. This, sound, this looks really cool. Uh, I want to get this. And my parents were like, I don't know. You know, he's really into that kind of like obsessed with it that doesn't seem I'm not sure I've I don't know that that's what I want you to not, how about not right now <clears throat> so uh then I was uh going to the going into a, a few weeks later I don't remember maybe a couple months I was going to the hospital for a minor uh, surgical procedure thing and there's going to be probably like three or four days where I was just gonna have to sit at home not doing anything with you know uh, a bag of ice on my chest and just not at all like going out or doing anything. So my parents were like, you need something to occupy your time while you're bored. Yes, I agree. Uh, so we went to the bookstore and they're like, pick out any book you like. And I went, oh, well, well um, you don't want me to get this Dungeons and Dragons book with the cool hexes. That's fine. Um, there's a game here called Star Frontiers, which is made by the same company. And uh, that's all about these really cool, they have these cool cockroach people. And there's a flying monkey thing that glides. And uh, they have the sci science fiction equivalent of the Pillsbury Doughboy. I want to play this game because there's no way you can make a humiliating choice out of this book. Uh, so uh, I convinced them to, to buy Star Frontiers. I read it cover to cover. I don't know how much of it I actually understood. Um, there was a lot of percentile of dice involved, so that's the good news, because I think if I'd picked up 
the basic rules of Dungeons and Dragons with all of the different dice involved, I would have been completely lost. Um, but this was all just roll, roll percentile dice for this, roll percentile dice for that, and then roll a d10 or roll 2d10 or 3d. Oh, okay, I could follow that. Anyway, so after I had recovered uh, from this surgical thing and whatever, um, one day I brought it to school. Brought the game to school. I was in junior high. Why not? Let's bring the game to school. Um, and one of the guys in my class who was, like, he was the different duck, you know? He was the guy where you would you'd be like, you'd talk about the football game or whatever, and he'd be like, eh. that was his whole response. Okay, <laughs> all right, whatever. He was, he was doing his own thing. Uh, he was the guy who was into black metal when nobody else was into black metal. All right, no, Ronnie James Dio is cool, I guess. I don't... No, I'm, I, I'm, I listen to KS95. I don't ever hear that. Anyway, that was a joke for the four people in here who are from Minneapolis. All right, uh, and, and at any rate, but he was like, oh, you play Star Frontiers. Well, me and some friends, we play Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> you should come and play with us sometime. I would love to do that. Uh, and the good news is that like, I got invited into a greater group of geeks and uh, we got to band together and form our own little community and have fantastic adventures that, um, that we inflicted upon each other. <laughs> Sometimes a character would miss, end up missing a leg. Um, but, but here's the thing that, here's the reason that I am the dungeon bastard today, which is, that shared community of storytelling and that shared experience of socializing together um, and that joint realm of imagination that we all entered into together um, was so stimulating and uh, such a powerful uh, bonding experience that I'm still best friends with all of those guys today, and most of them are in this room right now. So I think it, on the one hand, it's this whole thing is just a giant joke that I like to pull on the world because I happen to have a bunch of old school experience with this stuff, and uh, there's nothing nerds love more than having their own pop culture quoted back at them plus five Holy Avenger, haha. Ha. Like, on the one hand, those are really easy jokes to make. On the other hand, they resonate with you for a reason. So that's cool. Uh, on, on, on the one hand, it is, it's, it's, it's fun to uh, kind of tweak the eye of, uh, of those old school nerds who have invested so much emotional energy into something that's just a, a stat and a line on a piece of paper. Um, the other thing is, is that like personally for my life, I feel like uh, geek culture has become ascendant and that is terrific. I really uh, am glad that we are, are celebrating and, 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 and expanding all of this nerdy, nerdy stuff that we're doing. Um, I think there is a danger in that, in having a backlash of being pushed into the mainstream, of, of the whole 
false idea that I am the true nerd, I am the one true nerd, and those people who've started playing my game, they don't have a space, that's not allowed. They didn't play AD&D, they started with 3-5. They're not real geeks like I am, I know. Um, I completely understand that impulse, and I um, try to use my position as the dungeon bastard to fight against it, because I feel like uh, there's so much to be gained by including new people in our hobby and sharing this exercise, which is so stimulating and so personally rewarding um, with, with new people from outside our realm of experience, that to deny them that opportunity and to shut them out and that kind of goes back to my Conan comment is, let's look forward. I feel like, like as this cultural wave, cultural wave continues to push forward, uh, let's see how many people we can bring into it as opposed to how many people we can shut out of our dungeon and put up our pit traps and set our monsters and our minions outside so that they don't get our treasure. That's my inspirational speech, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard. Thank you, thank you for being fans, thank you for being friends, thank you for coming to Game Holcon. I hope you join me tomorrow night for Cutthroat Dungeon. It's going to be a blast. If not, I hope you have an awesome, awesome, awesome con. Thank you for coming. Good night! Yeah.